let us pray. O Lord, revive your work, nay, your people again, in the midst of the years, especially in times like this. Reveal, Lord, your mighty arm. Speak through me today with that voice that wakes the spiritually dead. That your people will hear your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I will begin by thanking the leadership of this church. For I don't want to take it for granted that I'm here today to minister the word of God. I thank the leadership for giving me the opportunity. God bless you. And of course the wives who are here supporting them in the ministry. My wife couldn't make it today because she's engaged in, my, in the chapel where I serve. Today, the message is centered on the youth, especially the undergraduates. Please, if you're undergraduate, can you raise your hand? I don't mean postgraduate. Undergraduate. I talk about the postgraduate. Undergraduate. If you're still in the university. Can you raise your hand again? Amen. Yes. Yes, you are many. You are here. God bless you. Though the message is primarily addressed to you, students as harbingers for revival, I think the rest of the brethren who are here will gain something, one thing or the other. I want to begin by saying that the team taken from Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 is very appropriate for the times we are living in. And I would like to make an illustration to tell you why. I want the youth, the undergraduates, can you come? Can you come? Come. Come. I want to illustrate to you the three stages of the church. That's what I call the three stages. You may have your own stages. Your own may be 20. But I have three. Now I would like to tell you the rule of revival in these three stages. I want somebody who behaves like a Jinjin brother or a sister among you. Who among you? Is it you? You. Okay, thank you, my sister. I want somebody that will be, that will be excited, eh? because this is the first stage of the church. Yeah, this one looks like the one that will be in the second stage. It looks dull. Hmm? The church in crisis. The continuation church. Yes, I want to make an illustration. This is the church at conversion. The church at conversion. Very active, very passionate 
for the work of the master. What the master described in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, to the Ephesian church as the first love. Go back to your first love. The first works you used to do. Excited. Now this is the church in crisis. You can see how dull he is. With a black shirt. About to die. But the master will not allow this church to die. That is the need for the revival. He will intervene with the revival. In order that this church will continue. The church in continuation. And this church in continuation will eventually go back to that first stage as a Jim Jim brother or a Jim Jim sister. God bless you. You can go back. Now, God is the revivalist. I'm sure up till now, since the program started, we are all aware that every speaker who has been given the opportunity to speak on various aspects of this topic. We are all agreed on one point. That God himself is the revivalist. That he will use human instruments. He will use men. That's why God said, I sought for a man. And God continued to seek for a man. Throughout history. That will be an instrument to bring revival to a dying church. The church in crisis. We are going to go through two aspects of this sermon. I'm going and be done. The first is the characteristics of this church in crisis. And then the qualification God is looking for. In that student, there will be a harbinger of revival. I want to tell you, brethren, there's something a man of God wrote. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. You may be there sitting down. Say, I'm not qualified to be a harbinger of revival. I have to tell you you are qualified. Yes, as a young man you are. No matter the pranks you are playing. Do you know the man called Billy Graham? The man who died recently some years ago. He nearly reached 100 years before he died. He became one of the most influential revivalists in the 20th century. I want to give you a brief story of how he started as a young man, as a student. When he was small, the father, the parents, the parents or the father used to buy books for him, especially Tarzan. I don't know whether some of you know about Tarzan. There is a book they call Tarzan. You know, a mythical man that goes on the tree among animals. You know, I think he was in a cartoon. People, children are excited when they watch it. So, Billy Graham was excited with Tarzan. And he would be behaving like Tarzan. He would climb on a tree. And yeah, like Tarzan. And would frighten horses and drivers that were passing by those days. And I'm, I'm sure parents were complaining about a young man who would be hanging on a tree, yelling like Tarzan. Frightening people. And, of course, what would the parents do? I'm sure the mother must have been praying for the son to disease from that habit. But one thing the father said, the father said, you are going to yell for God. And shortly after, when he was 16 years, he went to an evangelical meeting by an evangelist called Mordecai Ham. And the man preached. 
Meanwhile, the parents were of the Presbyterian stock. The man preached, a Baptist minister. And, and Billy Graham became born again. Accepted Jesus. And before you know it, he entered the theological school. Entered Bible college. He had initial problem. He wanted to drop out. But a man of God encouraged him. Tell young man, you have a good voice. Just like the father prophesied, you are going to yell for God. You have a good voice. And indeed, God used his voice as a worldwide evangelist for Jesus. So I want to tell you, you who are a student here today, you may be that Habinja of Revival. Don't look down on yourself. Let us read the text for today. I want to bring out something to lay as a foundation for you. Jesus. Jesus. We are my brother read today. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40, the Bible used him as the template for every young man who can be a harbinger of revival. Let's go back to that scripture. Luke chapter 2. I will read from, I will use King James Version. Let me read verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Look at a similar verse, verse 52. And Jesus Increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The man Jesus here, if you look at the demographics, the demographic is that of the students. You may ask me, how do I know? If you go down from verse 40, you are going to see where it was mentioned in verse 42. That he was 12 years old. Not only that. If you go down to verse 46. You'll see where he says it came to pass. That after three days. They found him in the temple. Sitting among teachers of the law. That was how students used to learn in those days. They would sit down. Around a rabbi. Who would be teaching them. And Jesus sat. But you know one thing, just like my brother, Pastor, Pastor Ezali said during the interactive session, that God can give you, especially you that have been prepared in your devotion, you can become wiser than your teachers. And that was the picture of Jesus here. He was wiser than the teachers. In fact, the Bible said, in that verse 46, that they, he heard them and he was asking them questions. Verse 47. And all that heard him were what? Astonished at his understanding and answers. Now I want to give you another similar scripture of another student in the Bible. And you can see a pattern that is written. Concerning Jesus, about that same student. And that student is 
Samuel. Don't tell me why am I using Samuel as an example. Is it because my name is Sam? No. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. You are going to see. His teacher was Eli, prophet Eli. This young man, you know the story very well. He came into the picture when the teacher called Eli. The Bible said he was old, dim. The eyes were dim. Could no longer see. Not only that you could no longer see. I don't think he could even recognize the word of God again. But he was there at the temple ministering. To cap it all, the children of this teacher was who are supposed to represent the man and continue the work of the ministry. They were terrible examples. The Bible recorded that they were sons of Belial. They did not know the Lord. That's what the Bible called them. And you see that in verse 12. Verse 12, yes. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Now, the Bible magnified again the sins of these young men. It says, Wherefore the sin of the young men were very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Can you imagine? But do you know what? The next verse shows a contrast about that student I'm talking about. The student called Samuel. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, guarded with a lining effort. Can you see the difference? Now look at verse 26. Similar to what we read about Jesus. Verse 26. Look at it. The child Samuel grew up. Yes. Physical growth. That is the demographic of the students we are talking about. They are the people that are the growing phase of their life. But one thing that is different is that he was in favor with the Lord. That was said about Jesus in verse 52 of Luke chapter 2. Both with the Lord and also with uh, men. Now, Brethren, I want to now lead you back again to another student before we go into the topic. Another student, now this student is in the New Testament. His name is Timothy. The teacher was brother Paul. He was like an apprentice, apprentice student. Now, I want you to take home what Paul told this Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Hold on to this admonition. Very tightly to it. As a student now. A prospective harbinger. For revival. Let this message sink. In your spirit man. Verse 12. Let no man despise your youth. But be thou example of the believers. In word. In conversation. In charity. 
in spirit, in faith, and in purity. If you look at the talk show we have today, everything is centered somehow on this very verse. If you listen very well to the prophecy, everything is pointing as a challenge to you. A young man, a young lady, a student, that look, the bad thing will soon be handed over to you. Do you see these people at the altar? I know two of them very well when we are in the campus. You are chaplain in charge. My brother, Honor. We are in the campus together. You think this work they are doing today started today? It started when they were students. They were active. In the campus student ministry. Making themselves available for the work of the master. And they're here they are today. Serving the Lord. So the message from the prophecy to you is that very soon, these people are going to hand over the baton. And the Lord is looking for young men and women who will become harbingers of revival to hand over this thing to. Now, let's go to the topic now. The signs of the church in crisis. How do you recognize that church that is about to die? There are three signs. Three. Number one. That church in crisis will be in spiritual slumber. Or what is called the sleep of death. Number two. That church will be a church noted for spiritual indiscipline. Number three. That church will be noted for spiritual lukewarmness. We are going to go a little bit in detail on these three signs. Why do we want to know about these signs? Because as a young man, as a young lady, whom the Lord is going to prepare to be a harbinger of revival, I want it to be burning in your heart. When you begin to see these signs in the church and say, Lord, make me an instrument. You should not be happy to note any of these signs in the church. But alas, it is happening. Because the church will pass through these stages. The church in crisis. Now look at spiritual slumber, the sleep of death. It is very well captured in that hymn, Ancient and Modern, 362, written by Albert Midler in 1860. You know that hymn very well. Revive thy work, O God. That hymn is based on Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 where you took as your team for the year 
If you read through the hymn, you will understand everything about revival. Every aspect about revival. But I want us to read or sing to the first two stanzas. Permit me to turn to it. Let me, yes. Thank you very much, the organist. Revive thy work, O Lord. Thy mighty arm make bare. Speak with the voice that wakes the dead and make thy people yeah revive thy work oh lord not it very well this stop this sleep of I don't know whether some of you, when you were sworn, when you are going to the village to be with your grandmother who cooks with firewood. <laughs> I don't know whether the young men of these days have the privilege of going home. I went home on those days. We look forward to it. We went home to be with our grandmothers. And you see them in their, when they are cooking. You will not understand the wordings of this scene unless you experienced it. You see your grandmother, he will use the fan, he will use the mouth. That thing that is red, when the fire is about to go down red, you will use the mouth to be blowing and fire will pick up. That's exactly what the hymn writer was saying. The fire is about to go out in the church in crisis. The church that is in the sleep of death. The fire of the Holy Ghost is about to go out. He said, by your almighty breath, quicken the smoldering ember that this fire will pick up. I've never seen a hymn that talked about revival at this hymn. I'll take time to sing or read or meditate from stanza one to the last stanza. You understand revival. Hallelujah. The sleep of death. Do you know this hymn is scripture? Until you read Ezekiel chapter 37, you understand this hymn. Let's look at Ezekiel 37. 1 to 10. You remember the valley of the dry bone? Hallelujah. And the prophet told the Lord, Shall these bones live? Shall they live? And you, and you know what bones mean? The implication of bone. Dead. But this one they call it dry bone. That means the type of death. There is no hope. But do you know what? The prophet told the Lord, when the Lord said, shall these bones live? He said, Lord, you know. Thou knowest. Why? Because, as we all agreed, God himself is the revivalist. 
He is the one that will revive. So, right from the Old Testament to the New Testament, as he dealt with the people of Israel and is dealing with the church in the same way. He's the one that will bring revival. And what happened? And the instruction was given. The bones came together. Sinews came together. Flesh came together. But there was no life. Until there was a breath. That's the almighty breath the hymn writer was talking about. That almighty breath brought life to that hopeless bones that were lying there. And they became what? A mighty army. Once more, they became like the church at conversion. The Jinjin brothers and the Jinjin sisters. Men who were passionate for the things of the kingdom, they arose again as the army because they have been revived. I want you to look again to the Old Testament before we go to the New Testament to bring about the picture of the things you see when you see a church that is in crisis, a church that is in spiritual slumber, a church that has the sleep of death. Do you remember Isaiah? When they said King Uzziah died, and he encountered God in a fresh way. That's Isaiah chapter 6. And there is something that was written in verse 9. The command the Lord gave him. The commission. Go and tell these people that they may hear. Let's look at that verse 9 to see the way it is clearly written. To tell you and to bring out about the two characteristics you will see when you see a church in slumber. That church will be deaf spiritually. That church will not see. They will lose vision. If you are in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9, can you read it for me? Yes. Can somebody read for me Isaiah 6 9? Yes. Oh yes. Go and tell my people. Yes. You hear, but you don't understand. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Yes, you see, but you don't perceive. Thank you very much. You can see that. Spiritual deafness and spiritual uh, 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 blindness. This was the characteristics of the church that was in slumber. Now, let me bring you back to the New Testament. I'll bring you back to the New Testament again. Ephesians, sorry, Romans chapter 13. 11 to 13. You are going to see what was mentioned there. Romans 13. 11 to 13. I'm still reading from the King James Version. And that knowing that time, that now it is high time to awake out of what? Sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we do what? When we believe. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. The church in spiritual slumber is characterized by all manner of sins. 
and in discipline. And I will go on to the next sign of the church that is in crisis. Spiritual indiscipline. If you want to know very much about spiritual indiscipline, read the first six chapters of the letter of Paul. First letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We will not go into the detail, but I challenge you, read it. Do you know in that scripture, you are going to see everything that is happening in the contemporary church. You are going to see the vision. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. Divisions. What I call malignant multiplication. Cancerous multiplication in the churches. In various groups. Today somebody will found Holy Ghost International Ministry. Tomorrow another person will break away from him and find reformed Holy Ghost International Ministry. And the other one will break out from the reformed and found authentic reformed Holy Ghost International Ministry. The multiplication will continue. Because people have not learned to serve under another. Divisions. There will be lawsuits. In that place, first in chapter, you see lawsuits. Brother Paul was distraught. He said, imagine, you have a quarrel. Instead of settling it among yourself as brethren, you go before unbelievers to settle it in law courts. Brethren, is it not happening today? There are some major denominations that are split into two in Nigeria today because of lawsuits. People are in the court trying to settle a matter that could be settled among brethren. Is there in first six chapters of first Corinthians chapter in the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians? And another thing you see about spiritual indiscipline is all manner of immorality. It was there, it's clearly written. Paul even said, Can you imagine the things that we have heard? The type of immorality. Family sleep mem- members sleeping. On the bed among themselves. Terrible things. We are written in that scripture. So when you hear some of these things happening in the church in contemporary times, the Holy Spirit knew about it before time. God knew it was going to happen about the church in crisis. And it was written through our brother Paul in the first six chapters of First Corinthians. You could equally see misuse of spiritual gifts, spiritual indiscipline. Misuse of spiritual gifts. People think that with charismatic gifts, they have arrived. And there is no Christian character. And as I always say, charismatic gifts without Christian character is a disaster. And that was why Paul had to mention in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. I want you to know that scripture. Very easy to remember. He said, now... That three things abide or remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and but the greatest is please don't forget that scripture. It was the answer brother Paul through the ministry of the Holy Spirit had 
for those who were misusing spiritual gifts. So this is the indiscipline that was in the church. Now, what, was, what is the last sign you are going to see in the church in crisis? Spiritual lukewarmness. And what is it all about? No more interest or enthusiasm. Do you know the meaning of revival? Revival means a reawakening of the passionate commitment. Passion. You know what is passion? When somebody is passionate about something. I don't know how. The young men will know what I'm talking about. Let's look at these young men who are students. Let me tell you things they may be passionate about. Let me give you an example. The things they may be passionate about. Some of them are very passionate about the Android phone. So when you are chatting with them, look at what they'll be doing. When you are chatting with them and they are lost in the social media, hmm? you are asked, telling him something, oh, his mind is on that. Hmm? Hmm? Hmm, 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 hmm. Mm-hmm. They are chatting, WhatsApping, Facebooking, all manner of social media. Let me give you another example. Football, EPL, Man U, Chelsea, the Blues. They will even wear the uniform to tell you the passion, passionate commitment. If you go to some of their bedrooms in the university, my you color is you to decorate the bed. So that when you come in, you will identify that he is a fan. Do you know, I remember in those days in the university, when we were in the university, you were, do you know the way you know somebody that has given his life to Jesus? You see a name tag. People, people we are wearing name tag, Jesus saves. Jesus is Lord. I don't see it these days. In those days in the campus, brother, I will bear me witness. Even my brother, I said, you know what I'm talking about. You see people putting name tag. They are, they are not ashamed. <laughs> sister, if I might hope you know, in the SCM, you know a Jinjin brother, a Jinjin sister. They, they just put the name tag there. Jesus is Lord. Jesus saves. All manner of things. That's the passion I'm talking about. Passionate commitment. But these days, there is lukewarmness. No enthusiasm. That's a sign of the church that is about to die. A church in crisis. And it's very aptly captured by the rebuke the Lord gave to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 4. Can you look at that scripture? Revelation, sorry, chapter 3, not 4. Chapter 3, 14 to 22. And unto the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things said the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, 
Because thou art locked one, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Do you know the funny thing about this church? In spite of the fact that they are lukewarm, they make empty claims. What are those empty claims? I am rich. I am increased in goods. And I have need of nothing. I don't have anybody to teach me again. But Jesus, the Lord of the church, gave a verdict. But thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Say, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness will not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyes salve that thou mayest see. The church in crisis. I want to now go for you, the undergraduates and other members of the church. What the Lord will be looking for in you if you are going to be a harbinger of revival. There are three things the Lord will be looking for in you. Three things. And they are like corollary to the, what we have just discussed about the signs of the dying church, of the church in crisis. Number one, I call it spiritual sensitivity or alertness. Spiritual sensitivity or alertness. You need to sharpen your spiritual antenna to hear from God. And you may tell me how. Throughout the service, I was listening to every portion of the service today. And I want to tell you, I am glad. That what I wrote down was somehow highlighted. Whether in the talk show or during the prayer session. And what is the way you can sharpen your spiritual antenna to hear from God? Undergraduates, students, listening to me. Let me give you a natural law you don't know. Do you know that there is an invisible, there are invisible voices floating in this arena? Do you know if you want to hear the voice of a white man from America, you can hear it right now. It's floating here. Or a voice of a man from China. <laughs> All the voices are here, but some of you cannot hear. But you have a transitor radio. That can tune. You may tune into Radio America. Before you, Voice of America. You'll be surprised. You don't hear Voice of America. Hearing a, a voice speaking. But without the transitor radio, you will not hear anything. So the same way God is speaking. God is speaking. But you need to sharpen your antenna to hear from God. And that is what we are saying. How can you do it? 
And that is what has been mentioned variously. Number one, devotion. You must have a devotion, a time of devotion. It was mentioned during the talk show. It was, it was prayed for during the prayer time. You must have a time too to worship God. Very important. You have a time to worship God. You must have a time to pray. And let me tell you, and you must pray by S-O-P-E. Soap. You must pray in secret. You must pray with openness. You must pray with persistence. You must pray with expectancy. For the secret of prayer is praying in secret. That's the secret of prayer. Praying in secret. As Jesus said, shut the door. Let no man see you and pray. And it is there that you can be open to God. Openness. Who you are is led there to God. In that secret, as you talk to God in prayer, God can talk to you if your antenna is sharp. And let me tell you, it is at that time that God can minister to you about the need for a revival in the church. If it is a burden in your heart. And finally, the word of God must be your companion. Our brother, Reverend Ezali mentioned it during the talk show. About reading the word of God, if you are indisciplined in reading it and meditating, use a Bible guide. There are so many Bible guides you can use. And when you do so, you may receive something, a burden. The second thing God is looking for, if you can be a harbinger or reviver, is the spirit of discipleship. I call it spiritual discipline. And there are three ways you can attain it. Self-separation from the world, self-abasement, and self-denial. And it is well captured in the hymn, three, three, three. If you want to know about discipleship, sing and meditate this hymn, written by Reverend C. W. Everest in 1833. Let's sing the first stanza. Permit me. Please, let's turn to it. Hymn 333. Take up thy cross, thy Savior said, if thou wast my disciple be, deny thyself, the world forsake, and humbly follow after me. Let's sing it again. Meditatively. Let's sing it again. That's stanza one. Take of thy cross, thy Savior said, if thou would find this I for be, deny yourself, forsake the world, and humbly follow after me. Humility. Yeah. 
God does not joke with humility. I'm sure it must have been dealt with in one of the teams in this, your series about revivals, oh God. Humility. I'm sure it must have been dealt by somebody. Somebody must have talked about that. It's a prerequisite for you to be a vessel, an instrument for revival. Do you know one brother called John the Baptist in the Bible? Do you know what he was? A forerunner. You know a harbinger is like a forerunner. That's the meaning of a harbinger, a forerunner. But this one was a forerunner for the Messiah, for your Lord, for my Lord. The one thing about him, he was a humble man. He said, I must what? Decrease. And he will not increase. So these three things, take note. The spirit of discipleship. Self-separation from the world. Self-abasement, humility. And of course, self-denial. Finally, you must be found in spiritual service. You mustn't be idle. You must be found doing something for the master. If you become a harbinger, you must be doing something in the kingdom, in this chapel, in your fellowship. Don't be idle. I want you to be challenged by Romans chapter 12. I want you to know that you are safe to serve. The matters of the kingdom are matters of business. Romans 12, 11. The brother Paul said, not slothful in what? Business. Servant in spirit. Serving the Lord. That statement is powerful, but loaded. Just put it as a memory scripture in your heart. Romans 12, 11. Not slothful in business. If you are slothful as a student, warming the seat in the church, warming the seat, you may not be a harbinger. You should be found in service of the master. Jesus was found in the service. Do you know why I say so? In that place we read, as our scripture today, Luke chapter 2. If you look at verse 49, when they were looking for him, the parents, and found him in the temple, do you know the question he told them? What he told them? Why are you looking for me? Shouldn't I be about my father's business? I'm going to end very soon. But I will end to remind you three things again. Three. You can see I've been using the number three. So that you can remember well. Three things again you should remember in spiritual service. Willingness to serve one fruitfulness in service to and faithfulness in little things committed to you. When God finds you faithful in little things, he will give you more to do. I will end with this story to challenge you again, young men who are students. The story about Rabbi Zacharias, 
I don't know whether anybody knows who Rabbi Zacharias is. Does anybody know? Can you raise your hand if you know him? Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my sister. Yes. Thank you. Rabbi Zacharias, he died in May this year. A wonderful Christian apologist. It's as if God raised that man to defend the Christian faith among the intellectually resistant. You know, there are people who have brain. God raised this man to be a defender of the gospel, to be a revivalist among people like that. But how did he start? He had a story. I want to share with you briefly the little I read about his story. Because it touches you, you who are a student, a young man. At 17 years, they were originally born in India. And their parents were Anglicans. They were going to Anglican church. But Rabbi Zacharias was a skeptic. He was doubting. Doubting about the things of the Christian faith. As I'm sure some young men may be doubting, their parents are drawing them to church. But because you are in the university, you are in the age of reason. You doubt. And you know, our God is a God of humor. God was watching this skeptic, this young man. You are a skeptic. Your parents are in the church. I'm going to make you a harbinger of revival among skeptics. That was what God made him. And how did it happen? At some point in time of a crisis in his life, he took a poison. He drank poison. And landed in the hospital bed. It was when he was being treated in the hospital that a Christian worker brought a Bible. And the mother was reading the Bible. Thank God for mothers. Somebody talked about mothers that pray for their children during the time we are praying today. Ministry of mothers who can intercede. The mother brought the Bible. And particularly, the Christian worker said, let him read, read uh, John chapter 14, 19 to him. Because this young man was about to die. And John chapter 14, the second verse of that uh, chapter 9, that's that, the second uh, part of verse 19, said, Jesus said, because I live, you shall live. That was a challenge to the young man. He held on to the Lord. I said, Lord, if this is true. If I can survive this in the hospital, that you are truly alive, that you can give life, I make a commitment to you today. I will serve you throughout the rest of my life. I will commit myself to seeking the truth about you. And the Lord answered the prayer. And he was, he was out of the hospital bed. Do you know what? The family relocated to Canada. That was how he later became a Canadian-American. That was in 1966. But do you know what happened? To show you that he was still serving the Lord. He found himself in the service. He didn't give up. He didn't fail in the commitment. He came all the way from Canada in the summer of 1971 and ministered among the United States soldiers who were serving in Vietnam. 
He was an instrument of evangelism among those soldiers. And that was how his ministry began. He now went from one Bible college to another to improve himself. A young man from 17 years. Many of you are older than him today. Undergraduates. Many of you are younger. But I want to tell you. I want to challenge you. You can be a harbinger or reviver. As the prophecy we had here today said, very soon, this generation that are servants of the Lord at the altar will go away. And the baton will be handed over to you. Are you ready to receive the baton? Are you ready? And there is a special prayer that I want to be prayed for those who are ready. Those who will realize today that God does not call the qualified. But God qualifies the called. Don't look down on your youth. Don't look down on yourself. I cannot be a harbinger or reviver. You can be. I've told these stories, two stories for you to know. That you can be an instrument that will be heard all over the world. And let us pray. And as we pray, it's a challenge. If you're a young man, if you're a student, undergraduate, I want you to stand up. Just stand up. All of you who are students, Yes, I'm led. Yes, all of you who are undergraduates today, yes, stand up. Stand up. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just stand up. I am led in my heart. Some of you here today will become great. great see me repeating it. Great. Having just a revival in the church of God. I don't know who is. I don't know who that person is. But I am convinced. I want the chaplain in charge, my archdeacon, to pray for you people. Not this day. A day like this. Some of you may become Billy Graham. Some of you may become Revi Zachariah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, prepare. Why lead us? For an holy, tried and true, with standing there are three of you. Two young men and one lady. One of the young men about two years ago the Lord ministered to you. 
that he wants you to be a minister of the gospel, an evangelist. As we are speaking, you are still fighting that. The young lady, the Lord says, his hand has been upon you for some time. And he has been laying on your heart that you will not only be a great minister of the gospel, especially among women, but that you are going to be a minister's wife. And you've been fighting it. As we pray, I want those persons to release themselves. And you others that are standing as we pray, release yourself. Amen? Yes, the Lord does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so great and mighty God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very God of very God, the one that knows the end from the beginning, the one that ordains the destinies of man. Lord, behold these young people standing before you, mighty God. Mighty God, lift up your strong and mighty hand afresh upon them. Lord, open their eyes to see. Father, open their ears to hear. Lord, grant them a discerning heart. Lord, that you have need of them at this time in your church. Mighty God, grant them grace and help to release themselves. And Lord, as they do, that your great and mighty unction shall rest upon them even with Starting from today, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we declare over them that in manifesting, they shall manifest in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we declare over them, O oh God, that they shall be mighty instruments in your hand. Lord, should the Lord tarry in coming, in many years to come after today, many of them shall look back and marvel at that which you will do with them. Lord, do so and be glorified. For those of us that are parents, for those of us that are sitting, you know each one. Draw us afresh to yourself. Mighty God, draw us each one afresh to yourself. So that Lord, in this age and time when the church is in backsliding, Father, you will light a new fire among us. Lord, may it be to the glory and to the praise of your name. In the matchless name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.